BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Chorology a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 82. Me being a Black queer woman and doing what I know I'm supposed to do, the next person who might be struggling with something very similar to what I've struggled with in terms of my sexuality and religion, if they see me living full out, doing what I'm called to do, that will also inspire them to know like, oh, I can do this. Maya Jackson is the founder and editor of The Zeal Life, an online fashion publication that amplifies the visibility of marginalized communities in fashion, culture, and art. Her mission is to bring others closer to their purpose so that they can lead more authentic lives. I've been following Maya on Instagram for probably a little bit over a year, and... A couple of weeks ago, she she sent me a DM with a link to a photo essay that she had do- just done called All Are Welcome. Uh, and it was kind of this play on, on that idea, All Are Welcome. This super queer fashion editorial all shot within a church. It's amazing. Blew my mind. I thought, you know what? I need to get Maya on the podcast ASAP. <laughs> and, and here she is. Uh, 
We get into great conversations around the need for representation in fashion and also the role of art in culture and society, uh, ways that changes things. Before we dive into all of that, a few things. First, uh, as with any of our conversations that we have on the podcast, when the idea of whiteness comes up, a uh, quick shout out to episode number three that uh, we did with Dr. Robin D'Angelo talking about this idea of whiteness. Uh, if you get into this episode and think, wait a second, I'm really confused here. Uh, that episode might be a really good one to reference. If, if you ever really listen to more than one episode of Queerology, um, that, that's required listening. Uh, second, uh, two fun events coming up this summer. First, uh, mid-July, I'm going to be at Wild Goose Festival. Uh, we're doing a live episode of Queerology there. Uh, that's going to be a blast. Head over to wildgoosefestival.org for more information there. And then at the beginning of August, uh, during Vancouver Pride in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, we're doing a live episode of Queerology at Spirit Pride. Uh, which is an event that I was at last year. So many good people, so much fun, plus Vancouver Pride. Details about that can be found at spiritpride.org. And I think that's everything. So let's go ahead and dive in. Maya, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. Thanks for joining. So we'll jump right in with the question I ask everyone. How do you identify and how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Yes, I love that question. Um, so I identify as black queer woman um, in the arts. Uh, so I, I definitely, when I speak about myself, I speak about myself as a creative. And um, how faith, I, how faith informs that would be anything that I do, or um, whether that be the Zoe life uh, that I know we'll talk about a little bit more, but the Zoe life, um, who I am as a black queer woman, it comes from a core, it comes from that core place of faith and spirituality. So it has to come from um, the why of my life and my being. And I am informed by my why through, through my faith, through, through Christ, through God, through spirituality. So Whenever I am looking for the answer or what, it, what should I be doing next, whether that be my creativity or how I view the world, it always is going to go back to that core, which for me is spirituality and faith. Tell me about that core. Like what I, I know those things are kind of hard to define sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but I'd yes. love to hear more about that. Oh, yes. So, so many different terminologies. We can use core, we can use why, we can use our authentic selves. Um, you know, it's that piece of you, piece of me that allows me to understand more of what I am here to do on earth and what my purpose is here. And I believe that we all have a purpose, that we all are destined um, to do something while we're here, while we have this time. And so everyone has their different ways of finding that. I think religion is a gr- great in the aspect of um, people being able to open up to find that. And that's what it was for me. And so for me, my core would be to, at the, at the foundation, to 
help other marginalized groups find their their purpose and what what work they should be doing here by doing my work. And so that is really what the Zill life is in terms of the, the, the Zill part is that eagerness or fire to go out and do what it is you're called to do. And again, everyone has different ways of how they find that. For me, it, it is God. It is my faith. That's so important to me. When I'm lost, that is my shelter. And that's where I go to to know what's next. Tell me about the zeal life. Yes, the zeal life. So the zeal life is an online platform. I started back at the end of 2015. So it's been around for a few years, but it's been it's evolved as I as a person has evolved. So it goes very well with the question you asked about how uh, my faith I, informs me. As I am evolved in my theology, as I evolved in my spirituality, the Zill life also kind of went along that journey with me. And what it is, is an online publication that uh, gears to amplify the voices or the visibility of marginalized groups in fashion and culture and art. And so when I say marginalized, I'm talking about the LGBTQ plus community, black women, Latino women, women as a whole, and persons, people with disabilities, and really amplifying their visibility in mainstream culture and creating a space where we're not just being included, but I am a black queer woman, woman, and that intersectionality is what informs my content so I can speak from a authentic place. Um, and that I think is very important and very needed in our generation and our culture today. I, I, I've been following you on Instagram for a while, maybe a year. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember when I started following yeah, you. Yeah, I found um, you first. So it probably okay. was a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and like you do all of this work, like in fashion, I think is what I've, I've noticed particularly. I don't know the world of fashion well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you do all of these reviews on your Instagram and they're so fascinating. I mean, I appreciate fashion, but I don't, like when you're when you're doing reviews, I'm like, I have no idea what your <laughs> what your criteria is. I would love to hear more about like the world of fashion and maybe some of your background in that, like mm-hmm. what draws you to fashion, um, yes. art and culture. Like, tell me about that. I, yeah. Yes, I've always been um, since I was younger. Uh, I guess in high school is when I started to really get involved in fashion and uh, realized that. I like to put clothes together. I like to style. And I just became fascinated with the fashion world, magazines. Um, I used to get Teen Vogue, Nylon magazines all the time and just fascinated by the beauty and the art of fashion. And so I um, actually studied and went to Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, here in Atlanta. Uh, I got my degree in writing, a fo- focus in fashion marketing and management. So kind of combining writing and uh, fashion journalism, really. And um, I just I've always just been fascinated with the the fashion world and how you can be you can tell stories and you can tell stories and you can uh, express yourself. And so fashion has always been a source of expression for me and how because I would consider myself a bit of. I'm an introvert. I'm moving into the omnivert. So I'm, I'm learning to open up a little bit more, but 
uh, as someone who initially is very quiet, my fashion has always been that first means of expression for me, whether it be, you know, I used to wear like long uh, faux gray locks or my hair was always a different color or, you know, that is a form of expression for me and for a lot of people. So that's how I started to uh, get into the fashion world and decided that I wanted to be a part of that and telling those stories and using my core and who I am and bringing that into uh, using that as my voice and my platform in fashion. I, I'd be curious to hear about like your we're talking about fashion as a whole, but like mm-hmm. your like the particularity of your mission mm-hmm. is to highlight marginalized communities in fashion. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear about that, like the importance of highlighting oh, marginalized yes. people within these artistic communities. Yes, that is so important to me. I think we're hearing a lot of the diversity and, and inclusion that is like the trend. I wouldn't say it's, it is a bit of a trend because you're hearing it so much. You know, companies are really adopting that diversity and inclusion clause more so. And I think there's a big difference that we have to address is that diversity is when I can walk into a room or walk into a corporation business, what have you, and I can see different types of people. Inclusion is when I can go up to the executive offices and I can see people who look like me, who are LGBTQ plus persons with disabilities, um, people, uh, Latina, black women. We can see those people in higher positions who are making those decisions. And also too, it's not so much just about businesses including these people but also supporting supporting the people who are entrepreneurs and um supporting black uh, latin um lgbtq people who are starting businesses who are starting platforms and really directly whether that be in funding or um sharing their work or really supporting those businesses i think is very, very important. So it's not so much just about, you know, companies including others, but people supporting those we are now learning that need to be included, if that makes sense. Um, that is so important to me. And so I think there are a lot of platforms out there that are including more of people that look like me, that identify as uh, LGBTQ but let's start supporting them directly by supporting their businesses. And I think it's great that the fashion industry and a lot of industries are going into that direction of diversity and inclusion. But I think where we're really going to see a change is when those people are able to have the ability to start their own platforms and get that support. You mentioned a few minutes ago, like they, you're trying to make space for other people. I am putting this into my own words, so tell me if I heard this well. <laughs> no, okay. Um, trying to make space for people to do their own work through mm-hmm. doing your work. Yeah. Um, tell me about that, because that feels like such an important concept. Like I, I've, I see myself doing that kind of similarly with this mm-hmm. podcast of 
when we when I do my own work, something happens so that other people can can do their work too. Yeah, and you know, and I definitely see that even with you too, because especially in the sector of um, LGBTQ issues in the church, it's so sensitive. And when you are coming out of that place and um, wanting to find other people who are in or have similar journeys. And you see them living it out and doing it full on. I know when I discovered chorology, that is you, you definitely helped me to begin to have that conversation with myself and in my work. So exactly what you're saying. It is being having, like I mentioned, my tagline, amplifying visibility in fashion and culture. So me being a black queer woman and doing what I know I'm supposed to do. The next person who might have, might be struggling with something very similar to what I've struggled with in terms of my sexuality and, um, religion, if they see me living full out and doing what I'm called to do, that will also inspire them to know like, Oh, I can do this, you know? And so I think that is what I mean by me doing the work that I should be doing so that I can be I can be a true representative of what I am advocating. And so that others who look like me, who may identify in whatever way it is, they can see me and know that they can do it as well. So I think that's just really important. I think we all have that power. When we do what we're called to do, there's someone that we're supposed to be helping. There's someone that's going to look at you, whether you believe it or not, and say, wow, they're doing this. I can do it as well. So that's so, so important to me. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you're right. Like that's, it's so important for us to have other people that we can look towards Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are like paving the way or who are maybe not even paving the way. Who are just doing the work. Yeah. It's so important. Exactly. Exactly. That's why representation is so important when we're watching movies or you know, when we get, we were talking about fashion, when we're flipping through magazines or on blogs or what have you, when we see people who are like us, it does something to us. You know, it, it stirs something in us that I think, um, I think that's what diversity, going back to that diversity inclusion, that's what it's about is creating that representation so that, um, we can feel we, that we ourselves can do our own work. You mentioned that you went through some struggle being yeah. a black queer woman. I would love to hear maybe a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I grew up very, um, my mom, I grew up in a single parent family, me, my brother, my mom, and my family, my mom was not that strict in religion. She gave us the foundation. We grew up in a church, but we, it was very foundational. wasn't She didn't force any type of religion on us. So I appreciate and love my mom for that. It wasn't until I got in college that I myself started to, I've always just been a very spiritual person, even as a child, started to want to know more of my spiritual side um, through Christianity. And I had friends around me who had had spiritual experiences and they were very well involved in the church. So I kind of started that journey in college um, with them. 
And it was that community of people. We got plugged in with the church that I really started to, I would say I was definitely on the side of extreme religion. I had, um, when I first, I was about 19. And when I first came into Christ in a, in a very real way, I would say, and I cut off everything. Like I wasn't listening to secular music. I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, that was going to play secular music, any clothes that I felt just were, <laughs> you know, to reveal anything. I just threw it out pictures. I had pictures of like Marilyn Monroe and I threw those all out. I was, <laughs> yes, I cut people off, cut friends off. So I was definitely on the extreme side. And then, um, but you know, when I was 15 or so I had, um, I realized that I was, that's when I came out to my friends, not my family. I came out to my friends. So when I was 15, I realized that I was gay. And then up until I was 19, 19 is when I decided to give my life to Christ. And that is when I was like, okay, well, I can't be gay anymore. And that's when it started for me. And the church I was at was very much, um, you know, they didn't believe in homosexuality or anything. So they took more and it was a predominantly black church. And um so I don't know a whole lot in terms of what the cultural differences is. I know when I listen to other stories, they're very similar. But I know within the black church, there's a lot of, um you know, pray, not just pray the gay way, but like lay your, lay hands on you to, you know, get the spirit off of you, a lot of that, that happened. And I think that created a lot of trauma for me that I didn't realize that I'm now trying to unlearn and unpack and uh, get through. But, but yeah, that's when it started. It started for me when I was 19. And that's when I started to, um, I was really heavy in the church, very heavy. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, so, so I'm thinking of you there at 19 and now here you are, like you just published this photo series mm -hmm. um, called All Are Welcome, a fashion narrative on the LGBTQ community and the church. And it, it's this collection of photos that are like super queer black <laughs> people in a church. Yes. yes. <laughs> so those are very different ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like how, what was that journey kind of like getting to that point of where you're publishing like super queer representation within church spaces. Yes, yes. Oh man. I, um, so after, so I was 19 when that happened and then, um, time, time kind of progressed, life happened. And I think it wasn't until I was very close to my grandmother. We have been living, I've been living with my grandmother for, um, almost a decade and she passed away when I was 21, 2021. And that's when I started questioning things because I realized there was this dichotomy of those who I related to as far as the extreme religious side. And then those who I kind of judged in terms of when I was in that self-righteous uh, mindset, the ones who I judged were actually there for me more than the ones who um, I identified with. And that's when I started, I was like, wow, what? That's weird. I would think that, you know, we preach about love and all of these things. I just didn't feel the love or the empathy as much. It was like, oh, they were throwing scriptures at me and, you know, like stay strong through the grief and all of that. And then um, those who I felt 
at some point weren't Christian enough, they were the ones who were really there for me. And that started to spark question for me of what, who Jesus is and, you know, that feeling of empathy. And that's when I started my journey of beginning to unpack the, the religious side of my Christianity. And it was last year, actually, where I kind of made the decision as I began to unpack and, and unlearn a lot of what of what I was learning. I'm like, man, I think I got it wrong here, you know. And I had a girlfriend at the time and we started to just say and she kind of was with me through this journey. And um, we weren't officially together. We were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yes, we. I just kind of decided like we're, this is who I am. This is who I am. And I just started that journey of, of then deconstructing and learning who God, who God created me to be in this new way. And I felt so free and able to, this new ability to create and all are welcome of the series you're speaking of that I released uh, this past Monday on the Zoe Life is a series that uh, kind of really promotes the, or really brings awareness to the discrimination of, of LGBT community and churches. And the casting, they're all, they're all black, but I know that's something that we all as LGBTQ people deal with. You know, I think there is an intersection of being black that is a whole nother conversation in itself but overall that was the story is to really bring that awareness that we're here um we are we're here and we're able there are a lot of spaces now where we're able to go and worship and um be in union with with christ without feeling uncomfortable or like we don't belong and so really taking that all are welcome phrase seriously. Mm. I mean, yeah, because that idea, all are welcome, like, I mean, you, you even say this kind of in, in the description of the photo essay, like some churches say that and then they kind of pull that uh-huh. we're not actually welcome. Exactly. Like, and so you're you're playing with that. Yes. I think that is a an issue in a lot of um, spaces. I actually learned about church clarity through, um, what was, yeah, it was your podcast. And um, I think that is something that a lot of churches do. You know, they have this on the surface, like love everyone, you know, we love you, but just because we love you doesn't mean we have to agree with you, you know, hate the, hate the sin, love the sinner, you know, those sort of um catchphrases that a lot of churches do and it's very misleading because you can go in truly thinking that you're welcome but then when but when they find out that you identify as queer um as in in any way then it goes into you know there's there becomes an ulterior motive of you know trying to get to know you so then they can then love you into healing and um ultimately becoming straight and it's just it, it has to stop you know and I, I think that is um, parts of the reason why I created All Are Welcome to just bring awareness to that issue in particular you know um, 
those who are welcome are able to serve fully. They're able to sing on the choirs. They're able to teach the Sunday schools. They're able to 100% be involved without any limitation, period. I mean, I, I love it because it's, it's a fashion essay mm-hmm. um, primarily. And I mean, it's, it's kind of provocative like yeah. <laughs> to have such i mean it is very queer yeah and i love it like yeah <laughs> but to see that like juxtaposed with a church guy mm-hmm. i think for me looking at it i mean we realize like i mean even though i'm in church settings often mm-hmm. <laughs> places where i do feel welcome mm-hmm. that i'd have seen such blatant queerness within a church yeah. messed with me a little bit it made me realize yeah. like, oh there's still some stuff i have to work on here yeah like <laughs> i love it yeah yeah i think i wanted to you know definitely make sure that i was um whenever there was a moment kind of like what you did whenever there was a moment i was like oh maybe not and i asked myself well why not you know why why not would would the narrative change if it was a, a straight couple would you know so i think that i just wanted to push the envelope a little bit and um just be true to what i was seeing um as far as the vision with uh having them in the church and a traditional church making sure that the architecture and everything you could see uh the stainless glass steel um or the stainless glass um making sure that those images were there and um yeah i definitely wanted to push the envelope and it, it, i guess in some degree it is supposed to make when you view it not all of it but if it makes someone uncomfortable then allow them to question well why why does that make you uncomfortable you know and i think those questions are important and that allows us to begin to uncover more of ourselves and uh our expectation of what church is and what's allowed, what's not allowed. Yeah. I I mean, it's so important. And I think that highlights kind of the role of art, kind of how art has that ability to hit us in ways that are maybe different from written word or like, I mean, although written word is art too, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but that like the visual side of it, I, I would love to hear maybe some about that, like because because you, you are working with visual art a lot mm-hmm. with with the zeal life. Yeah, um, visual art in terms of the the project in particular, or that and general. like just I mean I feel like so much of your work is in the visual, like you're doing written work too. But like mm-hmm. I was I was flipping through the zeal life, like there's so like the photo essays that like yeah. there's a lot of visual art. Um, and I'm curious kind yeah. of about like, the power of that. Um, yes. I think there is, you know, when we think about our generation now and how we are, um, we are visual people, you know, Instagram is like the number one platform now. And I think if we want to send messages, I am a writer, but uh, I am definitely someone who loves the visual components of storytelling. And so when I think of a message or a concept, I want to not only people to read it, I want them to see it visually because I think it does something when you can visualize it. I think that's why movies are so powerful. Television is so powerful because we are visual beings. Um, and so 
my decision to create these fashion editorials that um, really bring awareness to different issues is very um, intentional. And so one of the ones I did, I did a editorial on uh, the tropes of black hair, the shame of black hair that uh, women may face, black women may face. And so sort of an empowerment editorial with, um, with, it's called ignominy prohibited. So it's around the shame, not allowing any shame into, um, our spaces. And then the second one I did was based on the sexual vulnerability of women in everyday, everyday situations that, um, you may not realize like walking in parking garages or even, you know, just going for a run or going to the gym, you can often, women can often feel exposed or vulnerable, um, in ways that are uncomfortable. And so I wanted to highlight that. And so I just really like to take concepts that we all deal with that we, uh, and, and bring that to the forefront using photography, using um, visuals. Yeah, it's such a powerful medium. I, I was watching yeah. one of your videos before we hopped on the phone, or yeah. I guess this isn't the phone, whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> on, on this idea, and you, you kind of bring this up, like shame, self-hate, mm-hmm. um, you, this video that you were that you were talking about, colorism, like yeah. these things that kind of get tied in when identities intersect. Um, yes. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Wow, the colorism. That is, um, first off, thank you for uh, bringing that up because that's that's such an important conversation within, um, I mean, I speak from being a Black woman. I know other, other nationalities also deal with colorism. Uh, but for me, in, in the Black spaces, colorism is very, and still something that we deal with, colorism essentially is the dis- discrimination against darker complexions, uh, skin complexions. And so uh, it also can relate to hair as well, hair textures, how, how kinky or how curly your hair is. And within the Black community, there's a lot of trauma, of course, with, um, you know, having come from slavery and uh, being separated based on you know, the color of your skin, you know, if you were light skin, you were going to be closer to uh, the masters in the white, in the, um, in the home. And then those who were darker were on the fields. And that's kind of explicit, but that's really where it it stems from. Because as we evolved as a culture, uh, the, we, it stuck, you know, the closer you are to whiteness in anything that we do is considered superior and so whether that be um, the skin complexion, whether that be hair, whether that be um, your name, you know, if you have a whiter name or a um, or a blacker name, you know, there, there's so many layers to it. So colorism isn't just, you, you know, skin complexion. It is wanting to be close to whiteness and seeing that as superior. And so I think there uh, for a uh, women who have darker complexions, that is a trauma that uh, as you grow older, we realize we have to unlearn and try to deconstruct where that comes from. And again, I think even within the black community, 
there's something where we're, they're trying to, we're trying to do better with diversity inclusion, even within that space, making sure we're, we're having women that are not only dark skin, but they are wearing their natural hair. They don't feel like they have to straighten it or press it out. So, you know, um, even though that's beautiful too, but again, you don't have to do it if, um, you don't feel empowered to. So, you know, I think colorism is, it really just hints at the community, our community wanting to be in a, a lot of communities wanting to just be closer to whiteness. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, I feel like that kind of speaks to the deeply insidious nature of whiteness in this idea of positioning to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, you're talking about then now having to unlearn and kind of gain I don't know if independence is the right word, but this existing in relation to yourself as opposed to in relation to whiteness. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's what it is. I mean, we, I think, um, black people in particular are unique in that we, there's this diaspora of being here and being disconnected to our, our culture, our ancestry. And so we've come here and had to kind of figure out who we are in proximity to the, uh, the majority, which is white people. And so, um, in that, I think there's a survival piece where we're trying to, um, again, find ourselves within that space. And so I think, um, it, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, but it's, it's there, it's an important conversation to have. And I think it's something that, uh, we're continuing to talk about. And I'm glad we're talking about it even now so that it's not just an issue within, not something within just the black community, but other communities can be aware of it as well because, um, you know, there's a lot of businesses too that might choose the, um, the lighter skin girl, especially this happens a lot in music videos and things like that. Lighter skin girl versus the darker skin girl, because maybe as a white person, you feel more comfortable around the lighter skin person, you know? So there's, there's things that, um, I think we all can learn from it. I mean, that, that ties in so deeply with it sounds like the work that you're trying to do and highlight. And yeah, I mean, you're like the work that you're doing is resistance yeah. to whiteness, like and, and to this, I mean, even within in, yeah. in black culture. Is that right? Like, I feel like I'm stumbling. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely think that in this journey, it's interesting in this journey. And I I quite haven't figured it out myself, but what I did learn in this journey of even unlearning and unpacking my, my theology and how I was viewing myself in, um, my belief system that for some reason, there's a connection between a lot of the conservative beliefs and uh, white supremacy that I started to realize, um, because if I'm being very candid, when I, um, a few years ago during Trump election, that was during a time where I was still, I had, I still was holding strong to some of my conservative, extreme religious beliefs. And so I didn't even want to go vote because I'm like, well, 
I don't support either candidate because even even though Trump is, you know, um, in terms and I don't know everyone's beliefs or what, but in terms of um, he's not the most popular candidate in our history, but I was (laughs) (laughs) understatement. Right, right. (laughs) But um, (laughs) trying, yeah, trying to make sure not to offend anyone there, but. you know, I I wasn't a hundred percent against him either in some of the things because I think I too had some self hatred. You know, I I struggled with colorism. I struggled with um, my sexuality. I struggled with a lot of those things because, to a subconscious level, my, my wanting to be close close to whiteness. You know, and I didn't even realize that until I started to unlearn those things. And slowly I started to realize, um, the colorism pieces and, um, how there is a connection between the conservative viewpoints and white supremacy. So while I, my work isn't to be of resistance to just white, but more so a system, a system that divides. And, um, I think that's why the, the being inclusive and having platforms and supporting uh, those who are trying to create these spaces, um, supporting those who are entrepreneurs is very important. That's so good. And we're close to running out of time, but I'd be curious, like, because it is Pride Month, like, I'm, I'm kind of asking everyone this. Yeah. Um, what does Pride mean to you? Wow. That's such a great question. I think <laughs> I, I, I didn't even prepare you for this. No, so sorry. no, like... <laughs> it's okay. That's a great question. And I've thought about that before. Um, I think pride to me is exactly, it's going to sound very cliche, but it's exactly what it's saying. It's taking pride and being proud of who we are. And, you know, people who have been discriminated against uh, for so long, at some point, you know, you just you you have to take ownership and just be confident in, in yourself and who you are authentically. And so pride is about that. It's about rising up and celebrating our our queerness. And um, so I'm excited. I this is been a journey for me and I would say I'm still pretty fresh in um everything in terms of uh, last year was when I just even first came out to my mom so um I'm just learning this new this new space of pride and you know I'm gonna try to get to a pride celebration at some point this month you know so um it's exciting yeah (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, congratulations. Like, I feel like yeah. that's as huge. Yeah. Kind of fresh to it. Like, that's, that's amazing. Um, how can people find and support your work? Yes. Um, so I, I am on Instagram at the Zill Life. Um, so that's the Zill, Z E A L Life. And then, um, you can also find me on Patreon if you'd like to support in that way. At, uh, patreon.com slash the life. And so, um, I am primarily on Instagram and then you can check out my website at the That's where all my content is as well. But, um, yes. 
Well, thank you so much, Maya. Thank like, you. I really appreciate it. Thank and... you. I'm so excited for you to have me. Like I said, I am an avid listener of Choreology. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to check out The Zeal Life and Maya over there at thezeallife.com, on Twitter at The Zeal Life, and on Patreon at The Zeal Life. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible through support from its listeners. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to lend support is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and I'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I will eventually get back to you. I do read every email, I promise. (laughs) And until next week, y'all. Bye! BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.